You're listening to the Leading Healthy Creative Teams podcast with Matt Curtis. This is the podcast that helps you take your creative team from wherever you are today to healthy and effective. Hey friends, thank you for joining me this week on the Leading Healthy Creative Teams podcast. I'm very excited to continue our clarity series as I am every week because I love clarity. It's so important to being effective in anything that you're doing, but specifically the church needs to be clear because the mission of the church is better than anything else. So that's why clarity is so important to me and I'm so passionate about it. This week, we're gonna be taking what feels like a little bit of a turn, but we're gonna be talking about clarity in the context of a critique. So often when we give creative projects to our leadership or to our ministry leaders that we're serving, we don't get a critique in response. We get feedback. Feedback's not very helpful. Critique is very helpful. And so this document that I'm going to give you is going to guide the conversations around more of a critique approach, and it's going to be mission-minded. So I'm very excited to talk through that with you. Before we get there, I want to tell you how to find this document. The best way is for you to join the newsletter, the Creative Bytes newsletter. I've made a lot of changes in terms of the content that I'm putting out, and this is a reflection of that. So I've had a lot of classes and educational content that's for purchase, that's available to buy. And I've decided I'm going to shut all of that down, and I'm going to distribute it for free instead. One of the things that I continually was finding was... I could find the people who needed a training or who needed development or needed to grow in their skills, but the paywall was too significant for them to pull the trigger. And I really kind of leaned back on my values. So, you know, we're in the series about clarity and values was one of the things we talked about. How do you make decisions based on your values? So I'm looking at my values and I'm thinking to myself, I really want to help the church build healthy, creative teams. That's what I'm in business for. So how how can I do that if nobody can step into the content that I've created? Well, that's a problem. And so I spent a lot of time thinking through some alternate methods. And so instead, and it feels like a gamble, but (laughs) here we are. Instead, I'm really going to push the content creation angle. That means all of my educational content is going to be dripped out over on YouTube. So all of my classes, all of the like seminar session things, they're all going to be available on YouTube in time. I'm also creating a new series of videos that's going to be coaching conversations where I take a specific topic and I go a little bit deeper on just that little thing. In my head, I kind of picture it as I'm the creative team leader and one of my staff members is walking in. That's you. And then we're going to have a conversation. We're going to have a conversation about, hey, here's a thing that I think would be a good thing to be working on or a good way to shift mindset in order to grow as a creative leader. And then the other thing that's on YouTube is the podcast. I'm going to have a video form of the podcast on there as well. So if that's your jam, if you love YouTube, man, please come on over. It's just Lunchtime Heroes is the name. You can go to youtube.com forward slash Lunchtime Heroes and get there. That's the way that I'm distributing the content in terms of video. Now, these PDFs, there's a lot of tools that I have, like there's the deadline calculator, there's the mission-minded critique checklist, there's a lot of different things that I've created that are more like PDF format. Those are things that I'm distributing through the Creative Bytes email. Every two weeks, a new email comes, and there's a new tool in it. So if you're not already subscribed, go to lunchtimeheroes.co, and you will find a way. Also, though, the description has a link directly to the past freebies that have been given away. So if you want to go that route, you can get it there. And wouldn't you know it, I put a sign-up option on that page, too. (laughs) My goal is not to sell you stuff or spam you stuff. It's to help you get resources that you need to be successful in the role that you're doing serving the church. So that's genuinely my goal with it. I hope that's helpful. 
So let's move on here to this to this critique checklist. I'm just going to kind of walk through the document with you. And I really want to just highlight certain things in terms of the methodology, because what I I had to go through a pretty major shift as a communicator. When I was serving in the church, I got really frustrated with ministry leaders because they would come back to me with feedback that I thought was garbage. I mean, just bluntly. I was like, what do you mean change the font? You don't study fonts. You don't study color theory. You don't. And I had this real entitlement attitude where I'm like, I'm the expert here, not you. Now, maybe that resonates with you. Be careful if that's your attitude. And ministry leader, if you're working with somebody who has that attitude, this is probably a piece of why. So in the creative world, we don't operate on feedback. We operate on critique. Critique is born from a clear mission or a clear purpose. What are you trying to do? Who are you trying to reach? That's what we need to know. Because then all of the other decisions are framed around those pieces of information. And so that's what this document is really built around. It's built around remembering that we have a clear objective. So here's where we start. What's the project? It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> I'm sure that's not rocket science. What's the project that we're critiquing here? Okay, now we have two major sections. We have audience and then we have visual hierarchy. Audience is about who are we trying to reach? That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to define that. And so for me, we would often do, um, we would do, you know, men's, men's events, women's events, kids events, students events, different age ranges. I remember a conversation with one of my designers. Uh, we were approaching a women's retreat. That was the project that had come in. And so I told her, I said, hey, go to Target because I want to really target the 25 to 45-year-old woman. That's who we're going to target for a women's retreat this year. So I want you to go to Target and go to that trendy aisle. You know, it's kind of like in the middle of that first row. Um, it's like really good, nice stuff, hyper on trend, and sometimes a little bit out of my price range. But uh, but go down that aisle and just just look around and just see what they're doing. Are they using? Uh, recently, they had a wreath with lemons on it. <laughs> okay, great. Do a, a wreath with lemons on it. I mean, you know, a lot of times I'll have eucalyptus instead of pine for that's actually a thing for Christmas. You know, use a, a different type of plant other than the stereotypical pine tree. Great. What tree are they using? Use that if that's relevant to this age group. But Target's targeting that group. So why not learn from them and be able to target that group similarly? What we're doing here is we're answering overtly who is it that I'm designing this for? So if I did you know, light ribbons and flowers for a men's retreat, that would be pretty obvious that that doesn't make sense, right? There would be dissonance there. Be like, why? That's not the right way to target men. Men won't be interested in that. Now, maybe some men like flowers and light ribbons. It's not, it's not an indictment on those who do. It's just, that's a weird way to go about approaching this problem. We need to define who specifically we're, we're trying to reach so that we can understand the visual language that they speak. That's the key. And so in this checklist, we want to define that. Who is it that I'm designing for? And then does this design make sense for that audience? No, it's, it's flowers for a men's retreat. Or yes, it's uh, an ax and chopped wood. I don't know, whatever it is that you think is, you know, sort of the ideal fit for the men in your community. Does the design make sense for that audience? The next question, do the colors help communicate the message? So there's a lot more in this document than just sort of the questions asked. It's born out of the class that I have that's in the process of being released on YouTube. The colors here are basically referencing color theory. 
Are we using a color that represents calm, but it's supposed to be energetic? You know, that's, that's kind of the conversation that we're having here. And so for the designer, they can be thinking through that question to say, you know what? Yeah, I'm really choosing colors here that move in that direction. So that's audience. There's not a ton. We just need to clarify who they are. And if we feel like we're hitting that right. Now we move on to visual hierarchy. Visual hierarchy is basically saying, is the most important stuff, the stuff that you see first? Is it the most dominant thing on the page? This is where a lot of young designers make mistakes. They elevate irrelevant content to be the primary thing. I've struggled with this a lot as a photographer because I'm a photographer who's using that image in my design work. What that meant was I had to not be a photographer because the photography wasn't the key. That wasn't the primary driver of the piece. It was the language, it was the, the event, it was the request or the ask as part of the document, not the photo. And so this is where it becomes tricky for young designers often. I work real hard on this little element. I want it to be more prominent so people can see it. The way that a boss of mine said it, that really was profound to me. I was laying out a magazine and there was a spread that I really cared a lot about. And he said, if people walk away from the magazine talking more about your design than the article, you've done a bad job. <laughs> and I thought, dang, that's a really good argument. I, I can't argue against it. We're building a platform upon which the right information needs to sit. So let's talk visual hierarchy here. What is the most important piece of information to communicate? What is it? Pick one. It's that men's retreats coming and it's going to change your life. Okay. It's that it's going to change your life. That's important. So now once we've defined that similar to audience, who am I designing for? Once we've decided the most important piece of information to communicate, is it the most prominent element? Is it readable? Is it comfortable? Meaning, does it feel like it can sort of breathe? Does it feel natural? Does it belong in the space? Is, you know, is everything kind of matching or, or feel comfortable together, feel natural together? Is it clear what you want the reader to do next? It's a clear call to action, clear next step. Will the reader know how to take their next step? Very important question. Just because we say sign up now doesn't mean we've told them how to sign up now. Is there a clear next step for them to take a next step? Do they know how to do it? Is the contact information clear? Do you have contact information on there? If you do, is it clear? Is it legible? Is it understandable? Is the logo on the piece? I would miss this all the time where I would spend all of this time in these other areas, but I'd miss the logo. Finally, how can we improve on this piece? This is where we start getting into the conversation. We don't, we don't ask how can this piece get better until we define and answer the most important things. Who are we reaching? Is it reaching that audience? Visual hierarchy is the most important stuff there. Once we've laid that groundwork, now we can have the conversation about how this can improve. And what it's going to do is it's going to force those improvements to really be given in the context of the mission that this is supposed to be accomplishing. And so now all of a sudden it's not going to be a, I don't like this. It's going to be, I wonder if it would be more effective if we did this, because again, we're critiquing the pieces ability to succeed against the mission against the objective against the goal. That's what we're critiquing. I don't care if you like it, I want to know, is this going to accomplish the objective that you want accomplished? That's more important. That should be more important to every ministry leader. That's what a critique does. A critique removes the personal preference from the conversation. And it says, now let's focus on the mission of this piece. 
What's the goal of this piece? What's the objective of this piece? Are we hitting that? That's what we're shooting for. There's a story here from, from college for me that was really profound in this. Um, it was really kind of a driver of this actually. So there's this guy who was a, he was a peer of ours and he was, he's just a good, good designer. And a lot of us felt like, man, this guy's just, he's pro already. He doesn't need to go to school for this. <laughs> and so, uh, whenever we had a class with him, we were kind of like, Ooh, man, all right, well, he's going to show us up, but we'll try to learn something. So we had to do an advertisement for a car manufacturer or really just a car, the car itself. And so we all spent all this time designing our car ads and coming up with clever things. And then it became critique day. We all put our artwork up on the wall. And I remember when he unveiled his there, I don't know if there was an audible gasp, but, but it felt like it, it was just like, oh man, that looks like a real ad. <laughs> like it looks like a car ad. Like I could have seen that in a magazine. And I think the professor knew that, that we were all kind of enamored by it. And he called out a lot of things that had the opportunity to improve. This to me is why critique is so important. We get so enamored with ourselves and the work that we're doing when we don't critique because we begin drifting toward, I accomplished this. When really what a critique does is a critique says, how is the mission being accomplished? That's what our focus needs to be. Not, not on our little kingdoms, not on our little empires or our little success stories. We're working towards something far bigger than that. And a critique helps us shift our mindset. And so now it became, instead of me just enamoring this guy's work, it really shifted to, I've learned a lot in this conversation. I've gotten better as a designer and as a communicator because of this conversation. All of us have. That's the power of a critique. The reason that a clear critique is helpful is because it breaks down some of the emotional tension between the ministry leader and the designer. It's a very emotional spot to be in when you've spent time creating work and somebody comes in and just says, I don't like it for my reasons. It's hard to hear that over and over and over again. This is why the formalities of a process critique is so valuable because it takes the conversation away from an identity conversation and it shifts it towards how are we doing and accomplishing the mission of this task as we pursue objectivity I think we get better in every area of ministry that we have going on in our church. Thanks for listening to this episode of Leading Healthy Creative Teams. This podcast is just one of the ways Lunchtime Heroes helps build healthy creative teams in the church. Stay up to date on the latest by signing up for the Creative Bites email at lunchtimeheroes.co.